0: Father, we thank you for your word, that it is that which endures forever. Why? Because it flows from you. You are its author. These words are your words, and since you are eternal, it too is eternal. And so we are thankful that you've given us this much, that we might know you this well. We ask now that you illumine our minds, that we might hear And know that we might listen and believe. That we might believe and we might obey. This we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just quickly, verse 9, being made perfect. Remember, Christ is God. He is perfect. But remember, back for those who are here, we consider this. And this, of course, is relating to His humanity his full humanity our savior is fully god fully man and so in his humanity he learned obedience now does that mean he had he sinned no as we've seen in past weeks without sin but he grew more and more to that point where he could fully fully do for us what we needed as men and that was to offer the perfect sacrifice And so since that time we've considered particularly verse 9 that He is the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. We've been considering how the proper relationship is between faith and obedience because we know that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Faith comes from hearing. If any man believes, he he is a new creature. So this is not teaching us that Our salvation is by works righteousness, or works of the law. But what this passage does teach us, and what we've seen over the past two uh, parts of this series, is the, the, the vital relationship between faith and works, between gospel and law, between justification, if you will, and sanctification. While they're distinct, they're inseparable. One can't say, oh, I'm justified, I'm okay, I'm right before God, and then live a licentious life. Paul says that in Romans. He says, so, so expecting the objection, somebody says, oh, so if you're saved by grace through faith, you can just live any way you like. And what does Paul say? Well, in the authorized version, the old King James, some of you still quote, and it says, God forbid. In the newer translations, uh, the meganoita there in the Greek is more, more literally translated may it never be. Grace should never be the ground for someone to live a life of sin. Grace should always be the ground for living a life of holiness. And holiness, as we've seen, is a life of obedience. A life of keeping the law. Because that's holy. Paul tells us that. God gave it. Therefore, it is holy because it it emanates from a very holy, holy, holy being. And so what we've been focusing on for the past two Lord's Days and now today, one more time, is the role of obedience, the role of good works. We even saw in our prayer today, while this is not from our confession of faith and it's not directly taken from the Bible, it expresses the sentiment of the Holy Scriptures It says, grant that we who are baptized into him, into Christ, by the Holy Spirit may so faithfully serve you in this life that we fail not finally to attain your heavenly promises. Is that not exactly what we have here? He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Our desire is to serve our Lord so that we in the end do not fail to attain that blessed hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Last week, or two weeks ago, we saw just the biblical teaching on obedience. It can be summarized, and surely if I were to pause here, somebody would think of John fourteen fifteen. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's the summary of the scriptures. If you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, You will keep His commandments. So we dealt with that in in installment one. And then installment two last week we saw why this is so important. Because A, it it affects our eternal salvation. The source of eternal salvation to all who obey, verse 9. It also affects our holiness, our growth in grace. And I read to you that that quote from D.A. Carson. You don't drift into holiness. You don't drift into righteousness. Holiness and righteousness comes from grace, to quote Carson, comes from grace-driven effort. We'll get to that, how Paul puts it in plain language in just a few moments. And then the final point I made last week was we believe in obedience, we believe in keeping the law, we believe in loving the law and doing it because it glorifies Christ. If you're a legalist off the channel over here, then you don't take what he did for us seriously. The Bible says he did everything we need, period. You can offer nothing. If you err over here on the antinomian lawless side, then you do not give him glory for what he is doing in you. Those are the two great heresies of church history when it comes to salvation and particularly to sanctification. We're either legalist or we're antinomian. We either deny that Christ has done everything for us or we deny that he's doing everything in us. And we don't land right where we're supposed to. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Christ Jesus is our wisdom He is our justification, He is our sanctification, He is our glorification. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is He who is at work in you to both will and to do His good pleasure. He's the one at work in you, but He's at work in you. He's at work in you that you might be at work. Can you imagine God being active in you and you being past just flopping like a boneless chicken? No. When God works in us, we become active. We become animated. So that's what we saw last week. Today, I want us to consider the character and call Upon our life, the character of disobedience versus the call to obedience. What the apostle's saying here about this, we've much to say. About this idea of source of eternal salvation, all who obey in Him, all who obey Him. He's talking about the, the priestly work of Christ. He's talking about all of that. And he says it's hard for us to explain since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again. You need milk instead of solid food because you're still children. But solid food is for the mature and and he's saying you've got to grow up. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, there's the connection. Our eternal salvation is linked to our obedience, our Practice And notice it's a constant practice. This is not something that we can just do sometime and lay down and not do it for a while. It demands, God demands that we be constantly practicing righteousness. Constantly doing. I want to tell you, if, if I tell Ian that he needs to be practicing the saxophone, and I just keep seeing the thing sitting over there in the corner in its case... And I say, son, are you practicing every day, Dad? I don't believe him. Had Ken Center not practiced his lines for 1776, can you imagine what would have happened, how many quiet moments there would have been on the stage at the Oak Ridge Playhouse when they got to him? And by the way, there weren't many quiet moments on that stage. It was pretty active. Why? Well, because everybody had been constantly practicing their lines, their roles, their movements, their gestures. I'll bet the center household's glad to not walk past Dad's room and hear him doing his lines and not see him go into his poses at the dinner table. It's probably funny to watch, but they're ready to be over with it. We're to be constantly practicing what? Holiness and righteousness. Obedience to the law of our God. That's what the main thesis of those five verses is. You can read it over and over again, and that's what you come up with. We are dull of hearing. We've not listened, and therefore we've not taken what we've heard, and we've not done it. We've not been doing what God has called us to do. And so the admonishment is clear. Just as a human body grows and requires more and more protein, more and more vitamins, more and more you name it, fiber, everything else, so our soul, if it's to grow, and that's what God made it for is to grow, it requires more and more and more. You have to feed your soul feed your soul on God's word, you feed your soul through prayer, you feed your soul on the sacraments, you feed your soul in worship. We never do not need the foundational teachings. Don't hear me saying that. We always need the foundational teachings, just like a building always requires a foundation, or else it'll come apart eventually. There's a historic building in, in Charleston, South Carolina, Grace Episcopal Church. And about 10 years ago, they began to realize that they were having some problems and they were seeing cracks where cracks ought not to be. And this building of almost 200 years was beginning to not look like it was supposed to look. Uh, The first thing that caught their attention was the steeple. They didn't notice the little cracks. Everybody gets old and wrinkled and cracked, right? But they noticed the steeple looked a little strange what they found out was the steeple was, was leaning. Well, guess what the problem was? It was foundational. It was the foundation. When they began to probe, this building, remarkable that it had stood this long, had no foundation. It was built right on the ground. They went in, spent million dollars plus to raise the building. They went in, they poured foundations, they reset it, they fixed the cosmetic damages, and after, I forget, I was told, numbers and numbers of dollars spent, they now have a building that stands. The problem is the foundation. So we never get away from needing the foundation. You can't outlive that. So we keep going back to the solas. We keep going back to sola scriptura. We keep going back to sola gratia. It's grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. We just keep going back to those things. We keep going back to what justification is, what sanctification is, what adoption is, what glorification is. But just as a builder doesn't just build a foundation and walk away and say, I'm done. Most foundations look pretty crummy. And they serve very little purpose if they're just there by themselves, right? I mean, you wouldn't just build a foundation and then tell the family, okay, it's ready, move in. There'd be no walls, there'd be no roof, there'd be no, you know, you have to have the foundation, but you also have to build on that foundation. And so the builder goes and he puts up the walls, he puts all the, 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 the extra uh, uh, provisions, and he then starts the finishing touches, and it soon becomes not only a utilitarian building, but it becomes something beautiful. And that's the way we're supposed to be. And that's what the apostle's saying here in so many words. We're not supposed to stay like a foundation. We're not supposed to stay, in in his imagery here, we're not supposed to stay like a little baby. We're supposed to grow up. So you have to put all the other stuff on. And living in a sin-cursed world, that means to put on a lot of that other good stuff, you have to put off a bunch of bad stuff. So the character of disobedience is malnourishment, you're anemic you're undergrown there's no muscle where muscle should be the bones are not strong it's just not right nothing's progressing as it's supposed to and that's the problem with the church that the apostles speaking to here they're not growing They're happy just to know the basics and then just to go out. And the problem is just the going out, they're not being obedient to God. They're not obeying the law. They're not pursuing sanctification. So that's the problem if you disobey. Now there's a concern, isn't there? Once you start pushing this thing, you start saying, you know, we need to obey the Lord. We need to do good works. Good works are essential. In fact, good works are linked to our salvation, as He does here. Jesus is our source of salvation to all who obey Him. The moment you start preaching that part of the good news, and it is, by the way, part of the good news. Because we preach union with Christ. And when we're united to Christ, we're not united to a lawless Christ. We're united to a faithful, law-keeping, holy, holy, holy Christ. A Christ who kept the law perfectly. So we're not united to a lawless one. We're united to a lawful one. And we're to imitate Him, Paul says. And so we believe. But a common concern is that once... You make this point that, that people may get overwhelmed. They may be overwhelmed with the, you know, oh, you know, there's so much to do. Well, there is a lot to do. But you know, the more common problem I hear from Christians is, if I just knew what to do, I'd do it. I'd be happy to help if I knew what to do. My common reply is, read the book and do it. If we stayed busy doing everything this book says to do, we wouldn't have time to say, I don't know what to do. We would just need somebody to help us direct our attentions in a better way, a more useful way for right now, for the immediate need. Right? But if you read this book, and if you've read it much lately, it doesn't matter whether you're reading the Gospels or you're reading in the Law, you're reading in the historical sections in the Law and the Gospels coming together there in history, You know what you're supposed to do. It's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of love of Christ. And somebody might say, but it it seems like such, it's so overwhelming. It's such a burden. Well, that's because you're approaching it wrong if it's a burden. Let me read this from John, 1 John. I've read this. I've quoted it to you. But let me read it again. 1 John chapter 5. Verses 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. The regeneration is necessary for you to believe. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God... Some people would stop reading right there. That's all we're supposed to do is just love God... Trust in Jesus. But that's not where the Bible stops. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. Folks, I'm going to tell you, you can't get around that. And if you've been brought up in a tradition that says, no, I just believe in grace and grace, you know, law, that's law, that's legalism, then you've been brought up in in a tradition that's not faithful to the Scriptures. This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. That's what the book says. I didn't make that up. We keep His commandments. Listen, and His commandments, here's the answer to the concern, His commandments are not burdensome. John just comes right out and says it. How can he say that? Because you and I both know that sometimes they are burdensome. Right? Sometimes it's a burden. To do something that God says, it'd be easier for me to do something else. How could John say it's not burdensome? Well, let's keep reading. Four. everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. That's why it's not burdensome, because the the Christian does it, the Christian obeys believing. It's the power of faith. What did James say? What kind of faith saves you? The kind of faith that obeys. Right? Right? James linked them together. The reason law is not burdensome to us is because we're doing it as an act of faith. Now if it's burdensome to you, you have to step back and say, you know what, I'm not doing this the right way. I'm I'm trying to do this in my own flesh. I'm trying to do this in my own strength. I'm not doing this by the grace of Christ. I'm not doing this by the Spirit, the aid of the Spirit. I'm doing this in just, in just my power. And you know where that lands you? That lands you where Paul landed when it happened to him, as he describes it in Romans 7. And his conclusion after trying to keep the law in the flesh was, Oh, what a wretched man I am. But verse 8 or chapter 8 comes along and he says, but the Spirit, but by the power of the Spirit I can do this. And so he goes into his talking about, so let's walk in the Spirit. We need to walk in the Spirit. We need to call upon the Spirit. Paul tells us elsewhere that we're to be filled, be being filled. It's a It's something we need always to be filled by the Spirit of God. So we ask the Father and we ask the Son over and over, please give me your Spirit. That's the reason I pray early in the worship service every week that His Spirit would come here to be with us and in us. Because otherwise our worship won't be worship. It'll be a burden. It won't be a joy. And so the call to obedience is a call to be in Christ. And a call to be in Christ is a call to obedience. It's delightful when we keep the law in in the light of Christ Jesus. In the power of the flesh the law leaves us overwhelmed, it leaves us broken, it leaves us condemned. The Bible tells us that. But in the power of the Spirit of grace the law makes us purposeful, makes us whole, and makes us fulfilled. That's the difference. Knox Chamblin, who was professor of New Testament and uh, taught for many years at uh, Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, Knox uh, did a wonderful series of lectures on, on Paul and his writings. And I want to read you a portion of what he said that I think helps you understand what I've just said. That when we do the law, when we obey God in the light of Christ, in the light of the gospel, in the power of the Spirit, it becomes a delight. It's no longer a source of anxiety, it's no longer a burden. Listen to what Dr. Chamblin wrote. Sin employs the law to defeat its victims. If you Approach the law and you feel defeated. That's sin using it. He says Christ employs it. Christ employs it to nourish the saints. Sin employs the law to beat you up. Christ employs the law to nourish you. Isn't that what Paul's saying they need? The church, the Hebrew church here? They need to be nourished. They need the good stuff. They need some steak and potatoes. They need some asparagus. I thought that would get some attention. They need the good stuff, the fiber, the vitamins, the protein. Everything depends upon the power using the law. If it's the power of sin at work in you, then you won't like the law and you won't do the law. If it's the power of Christ at work in you, you will love it and you can do it. And then he illustrates, he says... Sin can use the fourth commandment, for example, to destroy you. Fourth commandment, keep the Lord's day. He can use it to destroy you. Sin, Satan can. Either producing in you a legalist or an antinomian. You'll either be destroyed by using it as a way of salvation. I'm going to keep the Sabbath holy and be, be right in the sight of God. Or you will be destroyed by being a legalist. Or an anti-legalist, an an antinomian. And you say, no, I'll just do whatever I want to on the Lord's Day. I'm not into the law thing. The power of sin will take it and destroy you one way or the other there. Christ, on the other hand, will use the fourth commandment to liberate you and, and refresh you. The wrong use of the Sabbath will be a burden. The right use will be a delight. And so it is with all of God's law. So what does Paul tell us to do? What's the practical approach to this? Well, in Colossians 3 and elsewhere, it's, it's given to us this way. Paul just it gets real blunt about it. He goes through the series, that, well, then just what you need to do is kill the flesh. You need to put off, mortify, kill, sexual sins, all immoralities, lying, cheating, stealing. He goes through the whole list. You say, okay, all right, I've tried that. But here's where most people stop. They try just putting off all that stuff. They try just stopping it. I'm going to make a list of all the things I need to stop doing. Here they are. All right, I've stopped it. Next day. I just seem to be drifting back to it. What did Jesus say about the the vessel, the human soul that was cleansed of of the demons? Did Jesus just run them out and leave an empty vessel there? Jesus said, no, if I did that, there'd be more come back. No, I'm going to cleanse the soul of this man. I'm going to cleanse the mind of this man. I'm going to cleanse the heart of this man. And I'm going to fill it full of good stuff. I'm going to fill it full of my spirit. That's what Paul then applies that same principle that Jesus taught us there, that same truth when he says, so you take all this stuff and you do away with it. And then you take all the good stuff, all the law, and you put it in. Instead of doing this, you do this. Instead of doing this, you do this. Instead of doing this, you do this. And you begin to train your body to do what your soul loves. And our soul loves Christ. If, indeed, we are in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Do you love Christ? Yes, pastor, I love Christ with all my heart. All right. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So that leads us to the second question. Do you love his law? Paul said his law is good and spiritual and holy. Is that your view? Is God's law good and spiritual and holy to you? The third question then becomes... Do you do it? Is it your desire in union with Christ, by the grace of Christ, by the aid of the Spirit, to do what Christ says to do? That was the test for the rich young man, wasn't it? Oh, I'm a good man, the rich young man said. Jesus said, okay, then put it off and put it on. Sell all that you have and... Give it to the poor. He couldn't do it. Why? Because he, didn't, he wasn't really a good man. He really didn't love God. Can you honestly look forward to eternal salvation? Does your life reflect the image of Christ more and more? Are you eating spiritual meat? Are you still... Just nibbling on the baby food. Next week, verse 1 says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go into maturity. There we'll examine where we need to go from here. We've got a good start, don't we? Loving Christ, obeying Christ. And that's the foundation, and that's the walls. For our growth. Father, we thank you for your clear word and ask now that you might drive it deep into our souls, that we'd agree with what you've said, what the apostle has said here, that we would desire the solid food and so desire maturity. Just as each parent here moves their children along in the food process to, from, from liquids to, to semi-solids to, to those good solids that we know and love and enjoy the flavor of so much so that their bodies can grow, their bones can strengthen, their eyes can grow stronger so that, Father, they grow as they're supposed to grow. May we, too, give us a love, give us a desire, Give us a hatred for sin and a love for Christ and His Word. Help us to practice, constantly practice, to distinguish good from evil. Help us to put off the things that are evil and put on the things that you have said are good and righteous. We need you to do this for us. And we'll thank you for it at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the life, On that day when Christ comes, all praise and thanks will be to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's sing this wonderful hymn, William.